BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to GVN's Talking Comics interview. On today's show, we welcome award-winning comic creator, Jeff Smith. Here's your host, Martin Sexton. again to another edition of DVN Talking Comics. I'm your host, Martin. And today uh, is one of those days that, uh, well, actually most days are fun for me, but this one especially because I'm going to be talking to multiple Eisner Award winner, writer-creator Jeff Smith, who, uh, of course, uh, was the creator of Bone, which actually is celebrating its 30th anniversary. Uh, but that's not all. He's actually uh, has revisited a character that he did previously called Tukey. Uh, and he's bringing the, uh, the character into actually two graphic novels that he's launching for his first Kickstarter. So we're going to be talking about that and the 30th anniversary of Bone and uh, anything else we can come up with. So let's welcome writer-creator Jeff Smith to GBM's Talking Comics. How's it going, Jeff? Doing great, Martin. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, so for the like two people probably on our website who don't know who you are, uh, could, could uh, give me a, just a little bit of background of what originally got you started in art, and was there somebody whose work that inspired you to kind of think this might be something you might want to do? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I. it's hard to remember exactly what triggered it, but I do know that I've been obsessed with comics, comic strips and comic books my entire life. Uh, and uh, the earliest comic I remember loving was Peanuts. My dad used to read Mad Magazine to me, so I loved, you know, uh, Don Martin and Spy vs. Spy. Uh, and then when I was like nine years old or so, I discovered Pogo by Walt Kelly. And that's that was the first that was the first thing I obsessed over. Like I tried to find Pogo book collections. And I, I knew on some level that someday I wanted to have my own Pogo books. That's what I call them. Pogo books. Yeah. And I won and I, and I did. That's what my bone collections eventually were. But that was that was really the initial, I think, um, beginning of my obsession with this art form. All right. Because uh, you know, we've all been going through the whole pandemic thing. So I guess I'm gonna to touch on just a little bit. Uh matter of fact, I talked to uh, Tom Pyre of Ahoy yesterday, and he said that, you know, of course I mentioned to him that most of the comic creators that I know handled the pandemic better than most people. Uh, and of course, he said it was mainly because they're used to working from home. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I mean, so how did, how did you adapt to it? And did you, did you think you gained any kind of thing, anything you can use or learn from this situation? Well, uh, well, not to put too uh, much uh, happiness on it, because it was a, a serious situation. But 
as as you said, cartoonists, uh, especially comic book artists, are used to uh, sheltering in place anyway every day, and I, for years on end. So you know, it's just you in a room with just maybe a radio or a stereo or something. That's that's it. So I, I wasn't it. What really affected me about it was, um, in in a good way, was that it just you couldn't go out. I mean, I missed my friends, but there was just more time for me to be at the board. So. Um, I had set Tukey the webcomic aside for a while for reasons we can talk about later. But when I picked it up, it was in 2019. And I had begun to expand it and try to smooth it out and, and, and make it what I really thought it could be. But it wasn't really till the lockdown when I just had nothing to do except do it. And I expanded it, drew it, inked it, finished it. And then started a second one and finished it. So I did two full-blown Tukey graphic novels in 2020. And I, if it wasn't for the lockdown, there's no way that. And uh, so what are the differences between your original web series and your new books? Um, well, the original web series, uh, I started immediately after I finished my previous project, which was called Rassel, which is sort of a noirish sci-fi kind of a thing. And uh, I finished that in uh, 2013. And in November of 2013, I announced that I was going to try this web, do this webcomic, you know, the idea of putting a page up a week. And I had this, I had this idea in my head that it would be like doing Flash Gordon or Prince Valiant, right? And that putting it up. Um, but when I collected them later, it didn't, it didn't flow very well. It was, it was a bit choppy. And more than that, uh, the, I didn't think the story I didn't think the story was as good as it could be. It wasn't really what I pictured. So I, I set it aside. I said, I'm, I need to, I'm going to need to redo some of this. I ended up redoing all of it. Uh, I mean, I was able to save a lot of the artwork, which I'm really glad that I did some good artwork. I, my story was just not quite as tight as I wanted it to be. So I was able to rethink the story, reimagine the whole thing, take much of the artwork, repurpose it, adding panels, adding pages, um, the story starts in a different place and is going a different place. So uh, it, it's a it's a brand new book, and I'm very happy with it so far. That's it. Uh, now we're starting out with Tukey Fight for Fire. And actually, uh, the whole concept of the idea of you know you discover fire, and there's a group who thinks that there's something evil about fire, and they don't want you to have it. Which is actually, to me, uh, it's kind of the way things people are with most th you know new things that you discover. They'll find you'll find somebody who thinks it's a bad idea. You know the old. Uh, well, if you manage to fly, you should have wings kind of thing. Uh, exactly. So, right. So this actually, did, to me, actually that was a great idea. Thank you. I, well, it felt right to me, too, that uh, the, 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 the other hominids, the species that don't go on to be us, um, don't are who aren't us. Because I kind of think once we discovered fire, it's us pretty much. Um, but the previous hominids, they make a decision not to adopt fire. And they, they, you know, I, I, I feel like maybe it was because they were frightened and felt that it was blasphemous. Maybe that they were, you're doing something unclean against nature. And, and so I, in my story, the uh, Habiline, uh, the, the, the hominids are the, the other human species that invented the hand axe. They hunt and kill anyone they find using fire. And so that's the situation Tukey finds himself with these three lost orphan kids that kind of, uh, he ends up uh, protecting. 
All right. So, I mean, it, it, just a little bit I saw of it, uh, you know, because I got to see some of the preview pages. I thought it looked great. Yeah, okay, you went black and white. I mean, is, was that your was that your only choice, or is that just what you had in mind when you first did it? Uh, no, I, Tuki, uh, ironically, was the first comic I wanted to do. I did, well, my own first creator-owned comic that I actually wanted to do in color from the get-go. But um, when it came time to re rethink it, and I did all this artwork, and I, I, the artwork was better than I remembered. It held up without the color quite well. And the real reason was I just was thinking, I want to make a point that this is not the webcomic, and that I'm doing this self-published in the tradition uh, that I had established with Bone and with Rassel. And those were both self-published black and white books. So I thought, this is my third creator-owned project. I, I'm going to stick with the formula. <laughs> right. uh, so, okay, well, speaking of that, okay, Chanel, you, this is your first time going on Kickstarter, which uh, actually the one thing about Kickstarter I found, especially during this pandemic, is it's been a great way for the creators to kind of connect with fans, you know, uh, as they've been running their campaigns. Of course, you know, without the Comic-Cons, they can't do uh, the actual face-to-face -face things uh, face until everything's opened up. But uh, the Kickstarters have been kind of great for that. Uh, and uh, my wife wish I'd stop uh, putting money into Kickstarter. I, <laughs> uh, I'm going to put put us in the poorhouse. But uh, uh, but uh, so how different is Kickstarter now from when you originally did your first self-publishing? Well, um, when I was first self-publishing, there were it was a very different distribution system in place. Uh, there were eleven, at least eleven, um, comic book distributors. So there were eleven catalogs that went out every month. Um, and if one distributor didn't want to pick up your, your new indie book, there were a bunch of others that would. Now, there's only one now, and it's probably a lot easier for retailers to just have the one catalog right. to try to go through. Um, but uh, it, it, I think that it's harder now um, than it was to get something to get something noticed, especially with lockdown, where you can't even go to comic book shows to like you know, meet people or show your wares, so to speak. Uh, I think now that uh, with Kickstarter and or in with, you know, digital comics, all that kind of stuff, you you have a way to, to show your material and with Kickstarter especially, and, and there's other things like Indiegogo, where you can now prove that people want to see your book. And that's that has got to be a step forward and something positive. And retailers will hopefully find it. I mean, all the retailers I know love comics and they love finding new books for their customers. So I'm very optimistic that th this new uh, era is going to work out somehow, especially once we can all get back uh, back into comic book conventions and stuff. Right. Well, I noticed that on your Kickstarter, you uh, you know, you made a special tier just for the for your retailers, uh, which actually I thought was a kind of a great idea because uh, you know, I say yeah, as you say, it just gives them access to it. Uh, and of course, everyone that I've talked to real excited about uh, the book. Uh, and do you, have you thought, I mean, I noticed the normal, your tiers that you've got going so far. Do you have anything else additional in mind for later, you know, if, if it continues to go well? Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to, we, we actually did, we only had a few things planned that were, um, you know, just like adding spot gloss to the cover, up, upping the uh, quality of the, the thickness of the paper, we're going to switch it to 80 pound. We're going to move to 15 point coverage. Just you know, deluxe things that are important to me as a book. 
but we, the Kickstarter took off so fast. We blew past all those early uh, things that were going to be stretch goals. So uh, we're going to, we haven't even really hardly talked about them yet. We're working to like come up with some new stretch goals, which I, I was trying, hoping I could have those up today, but it would probably be uh, either this weekend or unless somebody thinks someone who who's done Kickstarter can tell me if it'd be better to wait for Monday or something. Uh, well, we will have some more things. Well, you know, some of it's, you know, little things like a sticker or, you know, little things like that. Um, we, have, we have some, we have a couple of prints that are really brand new and are going to be fun. It, we'll do our best. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, actually that has been a common theme with the Kickstarter, especially, uh, is right. It says they they are more successful than they envisioned, and they didn't plan. It's okay, yeah. So as you said, we burned through all of it. Now what do we do? Because we still got you know twenty days or thirty days. Left yeah, we have, we have like I forget we have like 22, 23 days or something, and we uh, we want to we want you know keep the fun up. And and oh my goodness, I gotta tell you, uh, Martin, I'm. I, I cannot believe the messages we're getting, we're, you know, getting the questions, but we're really getting mostly just people writing. And there's this level of happiness. I don't understand. I, I, I'm a little overwhelmed by it. I don't know. They're, they're just happy to, you know, that I'm doing another book and that they get to be part of starting it up. And um, the enthusiasm has just been overwhelming. I say, and again, I say, it's that it's kind of a connection thing, right? You kind of feel like, you know, in some way there are participating in in what you're doing. Uh, yeah. I say, and I understand. And they that are. Completely. They actually yes, are. Right. Yes, and I understand that completely. Uh, okay, so 30th anniversary of Bone. Like I said, geez, wheeze. <laughs> uh, so uh, I mean, I'm sure you've been asked this a hundred times, but when you started Bone, did you have any clue? that it was going to blow up like it has. And 30 years later, still people are still talking about it and uh, buying it. And Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I don't know how that happened. Of course I didn't picture that at <laughs> all. In the very beginning, uh, I wasn't even sure how, if I would get to finish the story. I mean, I had an idea. I didn't know how many years it would take me to do, but I had the story in mind and wanted to do the story really badly. And didn't even know if I was going to get to finish it. So let alone that it would take off. And then after I finished it, have a second life with uh, scholastic and, you know, be in the little scholastic catalogs and being in scholastic book fairs. And it almost feels like it's perennial at this point, like it's evergreen. There's a new group of, you know, first, second, third graders coming in, you know, every right. year. And it's, it's just, it's incredible. I feel very lucky in a lot of ways. I was in the right place at the right time for a lot of things. Uh, and I actually, it's funny because I showed my, I have a 10 year old grandson. I showed him uh, a copy of Bone and he was really interested. But this is the kid that he was carrying a blanket yesterday and I called him Linus and he doesn't know who Linus is. Oh, so he yeah. doesn't know Charlie. I said, what, what, where have I gone wrong that you don't know who Charlie Brown and Linus are? Uh, I, but, but I he, don't know. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it just shows you that and it, I mean it just shows you any everything everything has its time which is a, a mad magazine is still around but it's not really mad magazine anymore it's just like a reprint book uh, I mean that's hard that's unbelievable that we can exist in a world where mad magazine isn't driving 
uh, satire and humor in some way. Well, I mean, well, I remember reading Mad Magazine, the movie satires, and you know, I never saw the movie, but that was the way I learned the plot of the movie, basically, even though there was humor <laughs> yes. in it, I could still get the idea. Like Chinatown, <laughs> the first time I ever saw Chinatown was in Mad Magazine. Right, right, right. And I, I thought it was hilarious, but I'd never seen the film. Uh, okay, so with the 30th anniversary, I, I know that actually you are planning on hopefully maybe getting your book out around like around the same, you know, the actual anniversary time of Bone. Do you have anything else planned for as far as the 30th anniversary for it? As far as uh, no, not, not not really. Uh, I mean, that was it. That was a. It was a, it was not only the birthday of Bone, but it's the birthday of uh, Cartoon Book, my publishing company that I own with my wife, and um, we just thought the. The best way to celebrate it was to drop uh, my third, you know, creator-owned, self-published book that month. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Another. I mean, I'm sure I'll get drunk that day. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so now, from from the beginning, did you? Uh, I mean, I noticed you know that you've embraced merchandising, and the reason I bring this up is one of my favorite comic strip artists was Bill Watterson, Calvin and Hobbes. Mm. He, I mean didn't want anything to do with merchandising. Uh, and to be honest with you, I think that was kind of foolish because he could have made a, a whole lot of money, but apparently that wasn't important to him. Did you ever consider not merchandising Bone? No. Hey, I, 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 well, <laughs> no, I, I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, from when I was a kid on, I really loved um, three-dimensional renditions of cartoon characters. You know, a really good, a really good statue of Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse or anything. I just, I've always loved that, and I, I'm thrilled that there are, you know, bone, little bone toys and bone statues, and they all look really good. It's really important to me that they look good. There's lots of little bone figures. No, no, I, I love it. Um, but you know, I own my, I own those characters. The copyrights belong to me. I control everything that happens with them. So maybe that's different for me than it is for Bill. Um, right. I, I, you know, I would have, I would have, I would have immediately bought a, a Hobbs stuffed animal. <laughs> but if he doesn't want to make it, that's his call, man. I, right. I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, so. I'm really excited. I'm pretty much going to call it here, but I got a rhetorical question for you. Uh, so if, uh, say you have the opportunity to do a crossover with, with uh, Bone with either any comic book character, comic strip character, who do you think Bone would work well with? With another character, the crossover? Yeah, yeah with another character. And that, I mean, just, I mean, it depends. Well, I mean, if you, if, if, if you could just, if, you, if they were back in Boneville and they could just, I, I, I mean, I think they'd be great with Bugs Bunny. Uh, or with Uncle Scrooge and Donald and the nephews. I think they'd fit right in there. In fact, I'm pretty sure somewhere in Boneville there's a giant money bin right in the middle of town. I'm sure. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty cool. All right. So, so that's pretty much all I got for you today, uh, Jeff. So, of course, uh, we're going to be following the Kickstarter and we will be promoting it as much as we can. And more yeah, yeah, we can. yeah. Every, if, everybody, come on out, visit the Kickstarter. Uh, we've got some funny stuff, we got some good rewards. Uh, we got examples of the pages. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I said we'll that uh, more than likely, right? Uh, I'll probably end up buying a book or two and uh, <laughs> fight, that, fight the wife when that time comes. Sorry, uh, sorry, sorry, wife. I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate it, Jeff, and we'll be following closely to what's going on. All right. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Martin. All right. I'll talk all right. to you later. All right. Man. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to GVN's Talking Comics. Please come back again.
Talking Comics is a production of Geek Vibes Nation.